Coming up, Daryl Morey to the Sixers. Masters 2020 odds, million dollar picks, and a deep dive into the election. I can't do better than that. It's all coming up. This episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast is presented by State Farm. If you've ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened? Your first reaction is going to be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it. I made it happen. But really, the only words you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Uber Eats. Spring is here and you can now get almost anything you need for your sunny days delivered with Uber Eats. What do we mean by almost? Well, you can't get a well-groomed lawn delivered, but you can get chicken parmesan delivered. A cabana, that's a no, but a banana, that's a yes. A nice tan, sorry, no, but a box fan, happily, yes. A day of sunshine, nope. A box of fine wines, yeah. Uber Eats can definitely get you that. Get almost, almost anything delivered with Uber Eats. Order now. Alcohol in select markets. Product availability may vary by region. See app for details. We're also brought to you by TheRinger.com and The Ringer Podcast Network, where, as usual, we're crushing it this week, including two rewatchables podcasts, Rocky Four, which I've always wanted to do, and The Exorcist, the first great modern horror movie. Both of those are up on the Rewatchables feed. And if you love all the Rewatchables pods, you can find every single one of them on Spotify. The entire library is only available on Spotify. Coming up, Joe House and I are going to talk basketball, Masters, Million Dollar Picks, and then Bakar Sellers and Harry Enten from CNN. Uh, we're going to talk about the election. So first, Pearl Jam. All right, he hasn't been on in a while because he's been busy with us. He's hosting Fairway Rolling, our golf podcast, and he's also hosting on Fridays an excellent podcast with Warren Sharp on the Ringer NFL show that is breaking down the gambling trends heading into every weekend. So you can listen to House twice. You can listen to him here. Also listen to him with Sharp. And I feel like your football betting is getting better. I feel like Sharp has made you raise it a notch. And I... I don't feel like you're a full-fledged moron anymore with gambling. Now I feel like you're like an occasional moron. Thank you for that. I, yeah. I accept that. I think that, that is progress. I, I will say two things have happened since starting the <laughs> podcast with Warren Sharp this year. In the first place, and this was bad for me at the beginning of the season, I bet so many more games on so many different angles than I ever have in my entire life because of the natural curiosity, the conversations I'm having with Warren, let's try this theory out. 
Yeah. And, you know, in a one-off moment, you're you're more likely to lose than to win. And I was doing a lot of that. There were lots of L's on that that betting dance card. But a lot of experimentation. We, that's it. I mean, you know, Kyle was just telling me about his experience with the Patriots this year. It feels like BDSM. And I told Kyle he didn't have to, you know, <laughs> go deep with me about about his uh, BDSM ex- experimentation. But I was doing the same kind of thing with the betting card early this season, I have kind of turned a corner. I had a nice winning uh, weekend. It was a four-digit return on investment last mm. week for me. It was a couple parlays in there, a couple teasers. And the season is starting to make sense finally. Uh, that That's the way I feel. I thought you were going to say you had BDSM experience uh, rooting for the Washington professional football team for the 21st century because you have that too. Well, after what that. they just did to Dallas, I mean, that was an extraordinarily happy ending. Yeah, that's true. Uh, all right, we're going to talk about football later. We're going to do million-dollar picks. Wanted to talk about Daryl Morey going to the Sixers first. There had been rumblings about this. He leaves Houston. It's always suspicious when somebody leaves a very high-paying, uh, lucrative, safe job with seemingly nothing next. And I th- I assumed he was going to do one of those SPACs, like what Billy Bean's doing, and just get some hedge fund dudes. Nope. He's taken over the Philadelphia 76ers, and there's been a lot written, a lot guessed about where this might go. First of all, I was happy for him as his friend, unhappy as a Celtics fan. I don't want Daryl Morey in my division. That sucks. Um, Second, you know, real ramifications here with the league for these next five years because they have two of the best 15 players in the NBA right now, Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, two of the best 15, 16, whatever your list is, they're on it. And there's been this question about sustainability with those two guys. So naturally, every everybody's mind jumps to which one of them's going, which one is Daryl going to trade. I'm going to give you my thoughts in a second on this because I have specific, clear thoughts on it. But what was your take when you heard about the Daryl news? Well, in the first place, I wasn't surprised at all to hear that he was moving on. You mentioned in the setup to this that you thought that his job in, in Houston was safe. I didn't think that at all. I mean, between the China thing. Well, his contract, his contract was safe. I guess I should have said. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, it, his, it was guaranteed. Like, safe, right. is, safe means guaranteed. His money was safe. The, yeah. The, the, the bank was safe. The wallet was safe. The, 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 the standing with the league and with homeboy Frittata was not good. I'm going to call him Frittata. I mean, I like I, it. I, just I call him that it's too. Just, it's too yeah. complicated. Plus to try he probably hates it. it. Right. <laughs> right. And based on some of the stories that came out about some of the constraints that Daryl was operating within in terms of budget and salary cap stuff. I'm sure that he was thinking about a next stop, uh, a potential option for him. This Sixers thing really opened up quite beautifully for him. I mean, talk about winners and losers from the bubble experience. The Sixers flame out, which was eminently predictable, even um, in the absence of the injuries, um, really created this, this dynamic within the organization for them to want to hit the reset button and they have done so in pretty dramatic ways. I, I'm excited for Daryl. Well, they hired Doc before Daryl. Doc and Daryl worked together in Boston when Daryl was a young, precocious, advanced metrics guy during an era where most people in the NBA didn't know what advanced metrics were. My memory of this relationship was that Doc was not a huge fan of the numbers. Oh. So now we fast forward 13, 14 years later, 14 years later, Doc's co- gets fired from the Clippers. Doc got fired, regardless of what the uh, what the article said. Doc, Doc, Doc got canned and paid off to leave. 
Um, one of the reasons was because of the advanced metrics thing. And the Clippers had this super expensive, you know, this big front office. They have this guy, Winger, who's the, probably the most expensive advanced metrics guy in the league. They're showing Doc all these numbers. Hey, when you play Harrell against Jokic, it's a disaster. You're, <laughs> they're like, their offensive ratings, like 140. Don't do that. And hey, Lou Williams in the playoffs is, is just awful. Don't, don't play him as much. And he's just not listening. He's like, I know my guys. He gets fired. Now he's with Daryl, who, you know, is, is kind of, was, was the uh, Lewis and Clark of this, the genre. So I'm watching out for that. But um, my, where my mind drifted, because everyone's like, who is he trading? Here's the thing about Daryl. And I, I've known him for 15 years. He has always been the same. And we've talked about this on podcast. He's a two-star guy. His goal was always to have two stars. So, right. So he starts with the Rockets. One of the reasons he goes there, they have Yao Ming, Tracy McGrady, and they have a nice little run with those guys. Then Yao breaks down, Tracy breaks down. Now they have no stars. Goes all in on Harden. He's got another star. All right. I got to get him a second star. Who does he go? He gets Dwight Howard. Gives Dwight Howard a huge free agent contract. Now I got Dwight Howard. Doesn't quite work out. They get to the conference finals. Noble experiment. Dwight hits a different point of his career. Now he's back to one star. What does he do? Goes to get Chris Paul. Now I've got my second star again. Gets two years out of that. Then the the Fertitas, Dumb and Dumber, end up uh, convincing him to make the Westbrook trade, which I think now we know that wasn't Daryl's trade, but it was the same two-star system. So my default with this Philly thing, sorry for the long-winded uh, explanation. He's going to have two stars. If he's trading one of those two guys, he's getting a star back. He's not going to go from two stars to one. He's not making the three quarters for a dollar trade or even two 50 cent pieces for a dollar. That's not how he rolls. He wants the two stars because then he feels like he's one of the best people in the league from a front office standpoint of finding the peripheral guys to put around the two stars. So my question for you, House Will these be the two stars or is he going to flip one of them for another star? What is more likely to you? Well, that that's uh, obviously the question on the tip of everybody's tongue because the stat that made all the rounds immediately after news of this broke, Woj dropped one of his Woj bombs on Wednesday was how many trades Daryl has made uh, and, you know, that that he is a frequent dabbler and, and very committed to trying to put his franchise in the very best position. I want to do very quickly a quick bit of sympathy for Doc and whatever he ran into in terms of the analytics with the Clippers um, and, and wow, whatever a, led to his... A Doc his, defense. Wasn't expecting uh, well, this. Well, just a quick bit of, of sympathy. Um, Paul George was fucking terrible. Like, yeah. he was atrocious. And if I don't know what the advanced analytics suggested about the likelihood of success of Paul George and Kawhi Leonard um, in a non-bubble circumstance, because I'm sure that the, the Clippers had a thesis for why that combination might work, but they didn't run a, a, a downside scenario, a bubble scenario, while Paul George was going to show up with a gigantic pitchfork and try and stab all his teammates <laughs> in their in their butts running around. the. I mean, he was so – he hit the side of the backboard. That is the Clippers meme for the entire playoff experience. Fair. And it demeaned and diminished the Clippers' standing, and they have a problem. 
that they have to try and solve now going forward. So I'm on Doc's side in terms of, you know, this. You're idea on that Doc's he, side. This is I'm great. On Doc's it side. sounds like I, you want a job with Philly. Oh, I would. <laughs> are you kidding me? If I had a text with Daryl? Hey, yeah, I, I would. Know. Nothing would make me happier than Maybe that. Maybe he'll hire Drunk House as his player <laughs> personnel. I'm sure that that would be really <laughs> helpful to them. Um, but in terms of, of what to anticipate out of Daryl, I think it, this very first year, I anticipate nothing. I, in terms of those two guys, I think Embiid and Simmons are going to be there. He is going to let Doc do his thing. He'll have suggestions. I think the really interesting thing is who he will put around those guys this season. I think the the, the two huge needs to me for Philly are point guard and somebody that can make a gosh darn three-pointer. And the, there's a point guard out there that Daryl has some experience with, has a uh. nice track record with. And there are odds up today on where this player will land. And Philly was not on the list, and I couldn't believe it. Chris Because his salary is too high. Well, they, they could work it out. Like, how about this? If you're going to go all in, if you're Josh Harris, uh, co-founder no, of, of no Apollo, picks. doesn't matter. Make it work. Come up with the Spend the money. Spend the money. Do you want to try and put... You sound Joel like Bernie Embiid. Sanders. Like, this pie in the sky. <laughs> no, no. Just spend the money. It'll happen. It's not pie in the sky. They, well, I they, think they they're really limited. They they really they, the only trade pieces they have are Josh Richardson is like ten million a year, Thibel and like future first round picks. Because other a, than that, OKC is not. You're talking about Chris Paul. OKC is not taking Chris Horford Paul. back, and they're not, not taking Tobias Harris back. Isn't it? Because Horford's smart. Le- he doesn't Hor- want. He doesn't no, want no. Horford. Horford has less years than Chris Paul at this point, doesn't he? Like, there's some some advantage. Chris Paul has too. Horford oh, okay. has two plus a payout for the four, for the fourth season. Well, I, I, Horford's I, a I, tough one. There is there. I just think that there are ways of finding teams that could use those players. I mean, I, I trust there's a little bit of a blind faith sort of uh, element to the idea. How about, of Chris Paul how about Horford, for, Horford for Hayward? Shh. Now Boston says no. <laughs> I mean, w- Why? After Horford's season last year, which if you're trading for him, you would talk yourself into he's playing out of position. It was weird. It was a weird season. Coaching thing was weird. Everything was wrong. There's still some real statistical signs that he has hit a different phase of his career. Like he's not I, rebounding the same way. He doesn't block shots the same way. I was mainly uh, joking. No, I re- there was well, no really defensible. Was it was it a, for, was for it a joke for Philly fans? <laughs> it's, you're talking about trading Horford and Harris. Like <laughs> their ears perk up. That's I, true. I mean, the most fun trade on the planet that the most fun NBA trade we can make right now for any team is just Embiid for Harden straight up. It's just so wonderful in so many different ways. I mean, they'd have Philly would have to throw in another salary to make it work, but it gives Embiid his own team in Houston with Westbrook, which is just a bizarre combo. It would just be riveting to watch. I don't even know how that would play out. And then from the Philly side, you, you, now you've solved how do I play all these bigger guys together? You have a closer. Um, there's a weird Ben Simmons dynamic that probably doesn't work out, which is probably maybe why they don't do it, but it's just would be so riveting to watch. It, it can still happen. It just might happen a year from now or several months from now. I think the first thing that Philly needs to do is do a little bit of rehabilitation with Joel Embiid. Let's really push his value up. By having him go through, I don't know how long this offseason is going to be. It seems like it's only going to be it's going to be short days or so. Yeah. But like, hopefully they're with him right now and a nutritionist and a dietitian 
and a cardio machine or several cardio machines and a swimming pool. And we're going to see Joel Embiid arrive in the best shape of his life. <laughs> the, we There's have this no conversation reason. every year. Every That's year. Never, it's not every happening. year. Why can't it happen? Buy him a Why crowd chamber. That won't work either. Well, they, he's they, like 28. The the other is he going to get in shape this year? The other way to do it is to let him use the regular season to get in shape and min- and watch minutes oh, and try and just get him, you know, prepared for the for the playoff run. But when when are we going to see the Joel Embiid in shape? The the franchise under the previous iteration and administration was not in a position to inst- you know impose any kind of institutional uh, uh, controls around him. I don't know why they couldn't convince him to get in shape, but maybe Doc and Daryl can convince him to get in shape. Well, so Doc can, you would think, build the relationship up between Embiid and Simmons. You would think. I say that Ubuntu. as you would think because Ubuntu, Ubuntu. How do you say it? Well, here's the thing. Can't say the Clippers had awesome chemistry, really dating back to the Chris Paul thing. And at some point, that Clippers team, the chemistry was really bad the last couple of years there with Blake and CP and all those dudes. And I was going to the game. I was talking about it when I was doing TV and then they would get mad at me. And the Clippers said, why are you saying that? Why are you saying Chris and Blake are don't get along? Because I'm at the game watching them interact. Um, so then that happens. And then last year is another chemistry disaster with, that, with a whole new bunch of Clippers. Well, I, I so you can't point, say that last like, year right. is an indication one way or the other of any chemistry experiment. Why? He coached because the it, team because it was a hundred year pandemic that that they were that we were uh, dealing with. He was, he I, I think their chemistry was a little goofy before the pandemic. It's they were really up to, and down, and everyone's yeah, making excuses like, "Oh, they, they these guys they just can't find a rhythm. They haven't played enough games together." It's that's like, all like, true. They had barely played ten games together. And they were right. gearing up Miami. for the playoffs. Miami made the finals. They hadn't played together. I don't know. I, I think Doc gets a little bit of a free ride for this stuff. At the same time, I think he's a really good coach. But it, I think he's a good coach when the situation is a good situation. You this is a good situation. Celtics, this is a good situation. We hope. I think it is. You I and I have no idea. Job. You and I have no idea if Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons can be the two best players on a finals team. But I want to see it. I want to see it play out. I don't feel like I'm satisfied with the evidence we have, right? You feel the we same have way. no evidence. We have well, just we have disappointing the, the Toronto evidence. series. The Toronto series is decent evidence. Good evidence. Like, yes, it's like I agree. the ball bounces around. If it go to overtime, who knows? Maybe they That's make right. the finals. Yeah. So so anyway, I'm watching. I think you're right. I think your instincts are right. I think he tries to fill in the fringes with the stuff he's really good at finding these Danielle house and, and, uh, Shane Battier. Well, way Shane Battier is the when. best example, but even like the Ben McLemore, um, all the yeah, reclamation think, project that were the role guys or somebody like PJ Tucker, who is bouncing around, never really found the right team. Daryl's really good at finding those guys. And another thing that he loves to do, sorry to give away all his secrets. See, by the way, these aren't secrets. He told me, I've just, I've been following him for 15 years. He loves betting on failed high lottery picks or high lottery picks who never hit their potential, but maybe it wasn't their fault. Like Daryl traded for Hashim Thabit. He traded for Johnny Flynn. I think he might've had Darko. Don't, don't quote me on that, but Uh, he's, he's over and over. He rolled the dice with guys drafted in the top seven because the thinking is like, maybe it's a change of scenery. will make it work. 
Are you saying here on the BS podcast that Markel Fultz is going back to the Sixers? Are you? Is that what you're saying right <laughs> no, here, that, right not now? Not saying that. No, is he? Because I, I mean, I, I could see it. I could see well, it. Well, my question with Daryl, he's so they create a team in the 0708, that really nice Rockets team, right? That was built around Yao and Tracy, and then Yao couldn't stay healthy. But that was like an old school, traditional type of team. Then they build this this Harden team that eventually becomes what that team became, which was threes and free throws. I don't think necessarily Daryl, that's his mantra is like, here's how to play basketball, threes and free throws. I think he tries to pick whatever the right system is for the players he have. And, and this is something like, not to compare him to Pat Riley, but one of the reasons Pat Riley's so interesting is he's Showtime Lakers and then goes and does this Ewing 90s Knicks thing and it's a completely different style. And then in Miami, you end up blending the two things. I'd be really interested to see Daryl put together a contender that's not the threes and free throws model and is actually more of an old school model that uses these two guys who I think we both think are pretty special. They're just weird. They're unique players. Well, to be fair, one of the things that ha is part of Daryl's uh, model that got, you know, kind of forgotten is he loves shots around the rim. He likes high percentage shots and he yeah. has two guys who are super capable of high percentage shots if they can come up with a system to put them in the very best position. If we can see Joel Embiid inside of eight feet around the basket, if we can see Ben Simmons playing some power forward that the Sixers yeah. flirted with and that they they claim they might unleash in the bubble and then we saw absolutely none of it and then he got hurt. I mean, there are the, he has those pieces in place to fit the model that that he likes. I mean, let's let's see these guys um in the in the best uh, possible situation they can be in to maximize those those talents. What's your Washington GM? What's his name? Uh, hold on, Tommy Shepard. <laughs> That's Tommy. It's Tommy Shepard. Of course, it's Tommy. Above Shepherd. former above the rim star Tommy Shepard <laughs> went from playing outside without a ball <laughs> to running the uh, Wizards. All right, you're gonna be Tommy Shepard. I'm gonna be Daryl. Tommy, it's Daryl. How are you? What up, D? Um. Hey, look, man, I'm just going to cut to the chase. Let's talk about a deal with Ben Simmons and Bradley Beal in it. What are your thoughts? Okay. What, what do you have in mind? I'm I listening. feel like you have to throw in a tiny bit more. Maybe like I get a pick swap in 23, something like that. I think Ben Simmons, he's younger. He's got, he's got a longer contract. You can build your team around him. Um, maybe like a 23 top two protected pick swap and we'll just call it into the league. No chance. I'm not doing that. Uh, Bradley Beal is better than and more valuable than Ben, Ben Simmons right now at this moment. He's certainly he's, more durable. He's four years older too. He's demonstrated the ability to lead a team. He almost led the league in scoring this year and he took our, our franchise, our Washington franchise and, and made it semi-interesting for about 15 games in an otherwise Se dead season. Semi-interesting to who? <laughs> uh, the people in a coma? The 10 people who attended those Washington basketball games. No, you know what? They were they were fun to watch. You forget already because it feels like 10 lifetimes ago. They had these incredible scoring games. There was no defense whatsoever. All right, Tommy, stop selling me on the Wizards. <laughs> Enough. Uh, all right, straight up. Forget the pick swap. Ben Simmons for Beal. We'll call it in right now. It's a great deal. Let's do it. I would do that in a heartbeat. I think that's a great trade. 
I, I, I have no inside in info, by no the way. Joke. Don't aggregators, don't aggregate this and say blah blah blah. I'm, I'm making this up on the spot. I just think that's. I want to see Ben Simmons. I care more about the Simmons piece than the Embiid piece on that team. I just want to see Simmons run a team. I want to see him in a team with an offense built around him and all the things he's good at do his thing. I think it'd be fun if he just like he takes over the Wizards and just kind of does his thing. And then if you're Philly, you've solved that weird Simmons and B thing that nobody really could figure out what to do with. Now you have a real perimeter guy. Now Daryl can work his magic and try to patch together the point guard position. And now I'm in, if Embiid shows up in shape, now I can think about a title. The problem for Washington is John Wall. They have a John Wall problem. Yeah, you have to figure out how giving the team to Ben Simmons, uh, which I think is absolutely the right move without hesitation or reservation. But what do you do with Wall? Is he on board with it? Is he going to be supportive? And you just have to run out his contract unless the new collective bargaining agreement, whenever that comes around, offers a new amnesty clause and you can get rid of him. I mean, those are your options. Here's the great thing, though. And this is where the the Wizards can hire you as a consultant. You've had decades and decades of experience of being stuck with a team that didn't know what to do with somebody on an expensive contract that had a couple <laughs> years to go. You, think about it. You could, you could fucking teach a class on this at this point. You could do a master's class at Georgetown. Decades. <laughs> running, out, running out the last three years of somebody's horrific contract. Hey, guys, today we're going to talk about Gilbert Arenas. And, uh, yeah. Well, I, you know, on this podcast, two years ago, 2017, I... Uh, posited that the Wizards in that moment should have stretched John Wall under the stretch provisions of the, the collective bargaining agreement. And Kevin O'Connor actually helped me, you know, send a graphic out that, that showed it. I mean, you, you, it was clear, it was apparent then that the most important player on the team was Bradley Beal. That hasn't changed in two years. And so, you know, if we get Ben Simmons, some, some young blood, and by the way, the reason he's so attractive that dude plays defense. Well, I bet on him to win defensive player of the year. And he was in the conversation. He finished top five. Couldn't agree more. He actually gives a shit. He sure does. I'm not sure hundred percent what he is yet, but I think he plays hard and I think he needs, I, I would just build an entire team around the stuff he's good at. Anyway, I can't wait to see, uh, what Daryl does. I hope it doesn't conflict with, um, my Celtics in Your any team? way. Yeah. yeah. But, um, this is a story that makes the NBA more fun. We have Doc and Daryl. We have possibilities of all a bunch of trades. You have all the Philly fans. The, the process is kind of weirdly alive now. Daryl comes in to extend the process. And we have the frittatas in Houston. <laughs> and and now they're like, oh, we'll show Daryl. We're smarter than that guy, even though we got into basketball 18 months ago. And and we get to watch that when James Harden. That oh, that is going to end unhappily. That is got. I, I just can't believe uh, how how dark it was for Philly. Really, like just a month ago, with right. their basketball team and their football team, and now their football team is going to win the NFC East, and their <laughs> basketball team is is not just uh, relevant. Super interesting, super exciting, and you know, I think uh, in the running to finish top four in the in the East. Well, Owen Brand, who is in just an incredibly nice guy by all accounts. And I feel bad criticizing him anyway, but the, the last two years that he put together, 
is borderline you, iconic. You and could not do Tobias Harris. You just can't the, make that mistake. It's I th- fatal. I feel like even Ernie Grunfeld would have cringed a couple times at those no, moves. That, that's a Grunfeld move if there ever was one. Oh, overpaying Tobias Harris? Yes, yeah, Ernie's like, yes. he sends out in a text, congrats, <laughs> congrats, man. You locked him You locked him down. <laughs> Five years, 180, you did it. Uh, all right, we're going to take a break and talk Masters and Million Dollar Picks. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. It's just what you need to sit back and enjoy the game. And they're also getting fans closer to the game than ever. You can win exclusive NBA prizes like courtside seats, signed memorabilia, and more. I love Michelob because of how light it is. It's only 95 calories with 2.6 carbs. You know what the perfect time for Michelob Ultra is? A little doubleheader, a little NBA doubleheader. Right at first half of the first game. I don't know, West Coast time, that's usually about Five o'clock, 5.30, perfect time for a beer. You can do it. Grab a pack to enjoy today. Learn more and enter for your chance to win at com slash courtside, LDA, 21 and up. This episode is brought to you by Verbo. You know, it is already stressful enough to deal with airports, delayed flights, bad weather. You want your actual where you're staying experience to be perfect, to be lights out. You don't want to have to worry about anything. When you book a vacation rental, you want to know exactly what you're paying ahead of time. The stress of getting hit with unexpected cleaning fees after your stay that can immediately cancel out all the great time you just spent unwinding. Thankfully, when you book with Verbo, you can see the total price upfront. There are no unpleasant surprises and the savings do not stop there, my friends. When you book with Verbo, you earn 2% cash back toward your next vacation through the One Key Rewards program, letting your money do the work for you while you've got your feet up. So while other vacation rentals can feel like a roll of the dice, relax knowing you booked a Verbo. Book your next private vacation rental in the Verbo app. All right, quickly, before we get to million-dollar picks, the Masters. Let's talk about it. The commercials are out this week. Oh, yeah. Do you think the commercials should be used as an erectile dysfunction drug? Because I do feel the blood surge to my groin every time I see a Masters ad. I mean, whether they're intended for that use or not, that's what happens. They're it's very like, oh, effective. Masters. You just that get, music, you get stiff. the green color. Mm-hmm. I am I am at attention. I, uh, you have my attention uh, in so, all parts of my body. So a couple subplots, and you've been covering this on Fairway Wrong, but El Tigre does not have it this year. We, Does, we, doesn't we seem can like cross it. him off. Yeah. Feels like cross it. Off. The best Brooks, you can hope for with him is make, it, make the cut. Brooks. We're not convinced he's 100% healthy, or do we feel like he's getting healthier? Oh, you're right. Oh, you have that little Brooksy. Little Brooksy. Little Brooksy. There, there's a tiny bit of value. He's available in some places still around like 17 to 1, 18 to 1. Oh, that's, that's ridiculous. No way. That's, I, th- I thought I saw that. Uh, no, he's like earlier. in the 14, 15 round. Well, let's just go to, we'll go to, it's fine. I'm just going to read all the odds. We'll do this quickly. Okay. Beefy Bryson is six to one. Is your six to one favorite? That's absurd. That's out, outrageous. I I think it's more fun to bet him to miss the cut than than to bet on him. His best Masters finish was as an amateur in 2015, where he finished tied for 21st. Now it is a new Bryson, completely reinvented Bryson. Uh, he, a new Bryson. Last, his last two majors have been the very best performances in majors in his entire career, and you know all that weight and all that hitting power. I just don't think the golf gods uh, at Augusta in particular are going to reward all that. I'm going to bet him to miss the cut because I think the odds are going to be good for that. 
My bad. He on FanDuel Sportsbook, he's plus 750 now. Yeah, so seven, and, seven and a half. That's still to too one. low. Still he shouldn't be under 10. Horrendous. Horrendous odds. Our guy, John Rahm, the Rominator. Yeah. Good year for him. Yes. I don't know if he's the golf MVP of 2020 because I think Bryson's kind of running away with that. But John Rahm is, he got invited to the table at the at the terrible award ceremony hosted by Sinbad. Um, <laughs> the what? At, what is, what, why does he, I, the what, the what awards ceremony? The, go, the golf awards. Like if they did like that dumb NBA award show, if they had the golf oh. awards, so they had yeah, cocktail sure. tables and maybe not Sinbad. Maybe it's somebody a lot whiter. <laughs> I don't uh, know who it is. Kevin Pollock. Yeah, right. um, Rom's at 11 to 1. Still, I don't feel like I'm getting value with that. I don't feel like I'm getting value with Rory at 11 to 1 either. But it is funny, the hierarchy now of golf, because the Masters, I think, is the best way to see, like, oh, who who do people think are the best five golfers in golf? So Bryson plus seven, 750, Rom 11 to 1, Rory 11 to 1, DJ's 12 to 1. And Justin Thomas is 12 to one. Usually Brooks would be in there, but I think because of the health thing, he's a little bit out, but that's the top five. If, if I asked you to rattle that off, you would have guessed those five. Yeah, sure. Of course. Uh, and we are paying attention to these odds. I think there is a tiny bit of value on DJ mm. and, and I'll tell you why he loves the masters. He plays the masters. Great. The last Five years since 2015, DJ at the Masters, he's finished tied for sixth, tied for fourth, tied for tenth, and tied for second. The only time in those five years that he didn't play was in 2017, I think it was, because he felt he he allegedly slipped and hurt his back. We don't know what happened. He was at the height of his golfing powers. Speaking of being at the height of his golfing powers, he had an extraordinary fall. He mm. absolutely annihilated everybody this fall in the FedEx cup. And he went to East Lake and, and just brought home 15 million sweet dollars uh, to sweet Paulina. He has a COVID positive diagnosis that he is recovering from right now. And so Oof. he hasn't been in the headlines, but you know, if, if, if he's I'm healthy, I'm well, no, I don't look, like the post COVID athlete performance. I, I understand think that's that. been a storyline in 2020, but here's the thing in golf. It's different. Because I, I understand, I know exactly where you're coming from on this, um, and Cam Newton has not been the same, but you know who did have, in golf, a very good performance after two weeks off, Tony Finau. Tony Finau took two weeks off for COVID, and he, he doesn't he was, count. He he broke his ankle <laughs> and continued to play the Masters. So but you know who else is a great athlete like Tony Finau is DJ. So yeah, if you get right. DJ at twelve to one and Bryson sitting there at seven and a half to one, that's dumb, right? Like those odds should that's be dumb. flipped. DJ at twelve to one, tiny bit of value. That's all I'm saying. JT is twelve to one. Shoffley's fourteen to one. Shoffley really getting a lot well, of respect. That's these because odds. a lot of people are on him because he's been he finished tied second last year uh, at the Masters. He has all these top five and top ten finishes in majors. The question with him is whether or not he can jump uh, across the goal line because he hasn't been able to do it. But certainly a top ten play, you'll get some decent odds on that, and betting him for that is good. It sounds like he should be a starter for the Tampa Bay race. He could just throw a solid six innings and then look <laughs> or, around as or, soon or as he gives up a line drive single. Five and a half innings. I don't know if his caddy's going to pull him out. I don't know. I'd, I'm just going to tell you, if that had been the Red Sox and we hadn't won a World Series yet, I would have reacted the same way I reacted after the Grady Little Pedro game, which was, 
I was so upset that the next day I had to leave. I was working for Kimmel Show. I had to leave Kimmel Show early. I asked to go home early. <laughs> I was so upset. I literally couldn't function. Uh, Brooks Kapka is 18 to 1 on this list. On that's what I like. That's, yeah, that's, that's, that's nice. That's a good That's value. an interesting value, yes. Plus you get to root for Brooks Kapka. That's uh, right. Cantlay's 20 to 1. And then it jumps. And I'm I just saw Cantley at like 25 to one. Uh, well, and he's a 20 guy to one on FanDuel. Okay. Well, I, I, I think uh, I've seen, he's, he's available right this second at, at 25 to one. He's worth a little sprinkle. He's another guy that's been uh, around the hoop in majors. This Since the restart, he hadn't been very good. Then he just strung four rounds together. Very nice rounds right in your backyard at Sherwood Country Club. He won there, beat both John Rahm and Justin Thomas, who were breathing down his neck. He held them off. He had the lead last year at the Masters uh, Sunday back nine. He finished tied for ninth because he fell apart on the 17th and 18th holes. But can't lay a 25 to one little value. Definitely a guy who could slip on the green jacket. Okay. I'm going to just read off names and stop me when you get excited. Bubba Watson, 27 to one. I'm actually excited. Bubba's okay. another guy who's been playing very well. A lot of the advanced analytics in golf, his ball striking has been excellent. And one thing about Bubba that that um, is worth sharing, he tends to do well at places that he's comfortable with. He's a repeat winner at a lot of venues. He's already a repeat winner at the Masters. That's a guy that's going to get a top 10 bet for me and a top 20 bet. And at that 27 to one, that's worth 50 bucks. For sure, Bubba Watson can win the Masters again. Morikawa is twenty-seven to one. Um, the stat that would give that him two ma two majors in the same year seems unrealistic. First ma first Masters, the last time. This is a stat that everybody's going to say. Fuzzy Zeller is the last guy in nineteen seventy, whatever it was, to win the Masters in his first try. So not on that precedent. No, no, no for Morikawa. Fuzzy Fried Chicken Zeller. That's him. That's the guy. Tough one. Tough one. Tough, tough one to live down. I think yeah. that, fortunately for Fuzzy, would have been a much bigger and worse deal for him now, but still. Oh, I mean. We, I, it's he, the first thing I think of when I hear his name. Man, so that brutal. That was brutal. Just My brutal. God, Fuzzy Zeller. Also, Golden Bear. Look, I feel like everybody over 80 should be taken with a grain of salt, but the it, the Golden Bear. Let's he didn't need to have somebody write a Twitter post for him and then put that up. It just it wasn't necessary. Wait, it was unnecessary. It's the perfect way to say it. That's unnecessary. All. Come on, That's Golden all. Bear. Uh, Patrick Reed, 27-1. Uh, Tiger. Be, I saw him at higher odds, but still, Patrick Reed won the Masters. So Why do you that, keep insulting Fandle? They, they, these are their odds. There are take other it odds up with Fandle. I, I will take it up with Fandle. Tiger's 27-1. Stay away. Hatton's 29 to 1. Webb Simpson, mm. 29 to 1. Matthew Wolf, 33 to 1. You know, two great performances mm. in the majors by Matthew Wolf. Uh, again, you don't know um, how a guy, his age, his level of experience, how he's going to react to Augusta the first time. The interesting thing with a guy like Matthew Wolf, though, is he'll be experiencing it without fans. So it could be an entirely different dynamic, right? None of those roars, those back nine roars that that really intimidate guys have that effect. So I, it's not crazy that a young guy might, you know, come up and do it. And that's the reason that Morikawa might be interesting as well. Has Wolf earned a house nickname from you yet? Like it's Wolf just Man, Wolfie. Matty Wolf, he's just, Wolfie? He's just Wolfie. Okay. He's just Wolfie. All right. Everybody else, Finau is also 33 to 1. Yeah. Everyone else is 37 one or higher. I'm just going to rip off names. Stop me if you get excited. Matsuyama, Fleetwood, no, no. Spieth, Adam Scott, Jason Day, J 
Justin Rose, Oosthuizen. Oosthuizen. What what number is Oosthuizen available at? He's, he's available at fifty to one. That's 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 there's a teeny bit of value there. He's been playing pretty damn good. You know since what that? You know what you call that value? You call it the Dick Tease value. It's a little. We have him at fifty to one, and he's down one on the fifteenth, and then you know bogey. Well, that's so why like, you bet Fuck him. Fuck you, Louie. You bet him top five and top ten to cover off on the fifty to one, so you don't feel mm. like a chump. That's an e- inty on usti, inty on usti. Paul Casey, Ricky Fowler, Scotty Scheffler, Sergio Garcia, Shane. Scotty Scheffler also. What's Scheffler's fifty number? to one? Yeah, tiny, tiny play on that. Tiny. Mickelson sixty five to one. I'm betting Phil Mickelson to miss the cut. I'm sorry. Uh, I There's no evidence that he can compete against these young guys anymore. Um, he played in a no-cut event last week and finished either fourth from last or third from last. Uh, and miraculously, the sports book offered a head-to-head where he was he was a, a, a quite a bit of an underdog, but who cares? I paid minus two forty or two fifty to play Abraham Answer straight up against Phil Mickelson, and I wish I'd called you and borrowed um, some extraordinary large amount of money because I could only do what I had, which was my mortgage, and I my I don't have a Bill Simmons mortgage. <laughs> correct, correct. <laughs> yeah, and and man, oh man, it was it was. I, he Abraham Answer beat Phil Mickelson by fifteen strokes. Oh my God. Yeah, so I, I I accidentally skipped over Fleetwood and Spieth. If you're excited, well, you said those. both those names, and and uh, neither but one. But they I were didn't lower than fifty to one. I didn't stop you. They were both in the forty to one category. Jordan Spieth at all times is a, is worth a look at the Masters. It's a magical place for him. He has um, done out. magical things. No, okay, I'm out. all right, fine. Stop. He he's he's actually been playing better. The last uh, handful of weeks, he's played in these um, no cut events also, and has some Sunday rounds that are like feel like they might be showing a breakthrough. I don't know. If you want to be a Jordan Spieth truther, there are some, some green shoots out there. Stop. Okay. Uh, best narrative before we go before we do million dollar picks. Best narrative. If you're just like, what would be the most fun thing for golf? I hate saying this, but it might be Bryson winning the Masters. I, I, you beat me to it. I mean, I didn't know if you were going to ask me that. That is the answer. It, it would tr- absolutely drive, um, you know, the the golf world insane because you know part of the challenge since he's re- returned with all of this uh, extra ball speed and length and everything is is like this existential crisis confronting golf. Oh my God, he hits the ball so far. How how can we possibly? Uh, constrain him or contain him. So that would be hilarious. But in, in terms of like the sporting public in general, he, here's a guy, you know, everybody loves the long ball, right? Like yeah. there is some resonance that would catch on with the general sporting public and seeing the masters sort of, you know, brought to, to, to its knees because of, of him hitting potentially 400 yard drives there. That's a narrative, right? That's an interesting story. Brooksy would also be a good story. I think I like Brooksy. That's my top two. All right, taking a break, doing million dollar picks. All right, doing million dollar picks in one second. Remember, we use the lines from FanDuel Sportsbook, who also has same game parlay, so many different combinations you can play. Player props, point totals, money lines. I'm always giddy just thinking about it. FanDuel will refund the first same game parlay you lose on any NFL game each week up to $10. That means you can bet a different parlay risk 
free. Here is my pick. Now, the, they don't have the the parlays out yet for Sunday where you, you can't mix the props yet. The props usually come about 24 hours before the game. I want you to look at that Philly game. I want you to look at the money line, which is probably going to be like Philly minus 400, that kind of range. And I want you to look at Philly defensive special teams touchdown, which will probably be in the plus 120 to plus 130 range. And if you add those together, it will get you over plus 200. Highly recommend that. And if you do it, uh, I want you to go on FanDuel, which is the only sportsbook app which has same game parlays. Use promo code BS so they know I sent you. And if you already have an account, you're good to go. Same game parlays, risk-free. Repeat, risk-free all season long for the NFL. Only on the FanDuel Sportsbook app. Don't forget to use promo code BS when you sign up. 21 plus present in Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, West Virginia, Indiana, Colorado, Iowa. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires in seven days. Max refund $10. Terms apply. Gambling problem? 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado or 800-BETS-OFF in Iowa or 800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 800-GAMBLER in Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois or go to 1800gambler.net in West Virginia. Okay, last week, I almost had a monster week. I almost swept it except for long shot parlay. And then the Bears decided to throw water on my face and storm out of the restaurant. So I was up 540,000 last week. I'm positive now for the season, up 144,000. I'm actually doing well this season because considering I've had I've been on the bad side of pretty much all of these games that had the bad beats except for the Browns last week. I pulled that one Baker Mayfield. Well, that was uh, right out of your rear end. One thing that has worked for me is not doing teases and parlays. Okay. At least for million dollar picks. So naturally, I'm going to start with a teaser. <laughs> it's time. <laughs> it's time, Robbie. Uh, we have the Eagles minus eight and a half over a Dallas team that I think is just flat out terrible. And that is not an overreaction thing. They literally can't block. They have terrible linebackers. And they have Danucci at quarterback, unless Andy Dalton can come back from a concussion. They're poorly coached. They're awful. They are uh, DVOA. They're 31st. Only the Jets are worse. Every sign says they're terrible. And then you have Philly, who actually has a pass rush. They need the game. They have a chance to grab the division by the balls. They're only favored by eight and a half. So you tease it down with a six-point tease, a straight upper. Um move that to two and a half. They win by a field goal. You win. You're going to sweat out the Carson Wentz roller coaster. He's just going to do it. Know that going in. He's going to throw a pick. He's going to have a fumble. He's going to hold the ball too long, get sacked. But let's start there. Let's move the Eagles down to two and a half. Why, why am I not doing that? Yeah, this is the thing. It's going to be the most popular teaser leg That's of fine. the entire slate. I right. that, that would be the only reason at all um, to be concerned. You know, you want to go generally against the public when you can, but this is one where I'm with you. There is a reason that they're 31st in DVOA. I just watched them against my home team and boy, did I enjoy watching yeah, you a disgraceful, beat the shit out of them. They they're, they're disgraceful. I mean, that, that, that it, it's a, it's an effort thing. It's a coaching thing. It's a concept thing. Obviously, Dalton, uh, you know, you don't anticipate playing your backup come week seven, uh, week six, week seven, and, you know, them trying to figure out what to do. But, like, the Mike Nolan defense is unbelievable how bad they, they are scheme-wise and execution-wise. They can't tackle anybody. 
and it's they don't even try. I'm so happy right now that Dallas is so terrible. I listened to you and Cousin Sal on on uh, the Sunday night pod. I couldn't believe that you included Jacksonville in the bottom three teams and you put Jacksonville in the same breath as the Jets and the the, the Cowboys. That's well, we just crossed them off. Well, right, it was okay. more, more okay. of a cross-off, yeah. All right, well, that's fine because Dallas is way worse. They're awful. And the, the tease that you're describing, that's a great first leg. Let's get going so, with some million-dollar picks. Yeah, I just think you have to look at it as... Look, Wentz is going to scare you in the first hour and a half of this tease, and you're gonna and you're gonna feel real doubt in your in your bones, and maybe CD Lamb gets an 80 yard touchdown, whatever. There will be a moment of doubt, but just Philly will somehow pull the game out. Hopefully, not win by two and mess you up. There's an interesting bet on Fanduel. Philly by 14 plus is plus 120. Just throwing you throwing that one. Yeah, if it was plus, I want it closer to two to one. Okay, at that. All right, so for the second piece of this Eagles tease, I narrowed it in on Tampa minus 12 against the Giants. And here's the case. First of all, the DVOA split. We're now at the point where DVOA, I think, really matters. Yeah. Tampa's first, the Giants are 29th. So that's wonderful. So if we get the Tampa down to under a touchdown to minus six, I have as big of a disparity as I'm going to get with DVOA. The Giants' defense is terrible. They've given up uh, 50.5% on third down. They're one for seven on stops on fourth down. And then offensively, I think there's this feeling because Daniel Jones, he throws the ball. I don't know that people think the Giants' offense can at least move the ball. The the stats don't back it up. They're what? Their yards per attempt, 6.1. They have nine turnovers and they're 27th in the league in rushing. And to me, this is more a belief in Tampa, who I think is the most logical NFC Super Bowl pick right now and the most complete team. Godwin's out. Godwin's going to miss this game. But even with that said, like they have the kind of defense that can extend leads. They're just a complete football team. And the thing is, if you're thinking this is a potential Super Bowl contender, these are the games that you end up winning by 30 or you went, you know, 42 to 10, kind of what they did to the Raiders last week. So, Teasing the Eagles down to two and a half and Tampa down to six. Both of them have to cover. Who screws me on that? The Eagles? Well, let's uh, tap the brakes for just one second because, uh, and I don't know how you want to handle this. It's off the board right now. Cause oh, I'm co- aware. Because there was like some equipment COVID manager stuff. COVID thing. Yeah. 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 They'll play it. They've, they've, they've plowed through every time. Okay. Well, if you have the confidence that they're going to play it, because you don't want to just be out there, you know, have this wonderful tease. uh, Of of a backup. I'll do a backup team. Yeah, that's all I'm suggesting. Um, Okay. Yeah, there's no argument with any aspect of what you just described. I think, you know, power ranking wise, there's a very defensible case to have Tampa at the very tippy top. And I just want to know how does that make you feel? I mean, you and the cuz talk about it a little bit. Like I'm fine. Okay. The All Mookie right. Betts thing hurts way, 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 way more. Well, that's because we that's, traded that guy as he was hitting his prime. Yeah. Brady's 43. It's like it was going to end this year or next year. It's we already got six Super Bowls out of him, and our team's terrible with or without him. Well, it's t- not like Tampa, he, it's not like he's going to make a difference with this Patriots team. We can move on quickly because Tampa at less than a touchdown, and that's what you've done. You've crossed one of the magic numbers to get it down under seven, which is important. Um, that's that's good value. You're fine. I like that a lot. One of the lessons we've learned from the podcast you're doing with Sharp, because one thing you and I love to do is have an anchor team 
So like this week, we'd be like, oh, I love the Eagles. I'm going to tease them with four teams and I'll go three and one or I'll sweep the bets. And Sharp is like, don't rely on one team. Be diverse. Rely on a whole bunch of different bets. So I've, I'm trying to stick to that because I think it's good advice. So I'm normally I'd put the Eagles in two other teases, but I'm not going to do that this time. Next, next bet I'm looking at, Bills. Going to bring this line down to minus three against the Patriots. So it's minus 130. If you pay 130 to win 100. Bills 14th DVOA, Pats 26th. Bills defense secretly not that good. They yeah. uh they they're they've given up over 50% on third downs. Yes. They've also they're 52.4 for their offense at third downs. The Pats offense, it cannot be overstated how bad they are. If you remove this Seattle game, it's probably the worst offense in the league. Um just for the year even including the Seattle game. 39% on third down. They're 28th in pass yards. <laughs> Their quarterbacks have thrown three touchdowns, 11 interceptions. Their quarterbacks have a 65% passer rating. And they've been able to run the ball a little bit, but that doesn't matter once you fall behind by 10. And I think they this line should be at least seven. God bless the Pats. God bless Belichick. God bless the six Super Bowls. The talent is not there, as I laid out on Sunday's pod. And we see this every year with the team. It takes everybody four extra weeks to kind of admit that the once great contender, whoever, it's just dead. It's gone. It's over. And we saw it with Dallas this year too. They haven't covered yet. They're 0-7. Even this Eagles line should be Eagles by 10. People won't give up on Dallas. I just think the line's too low and getting it to minus three so I don't have to worry about the hook uh, makes a lot of sense to me. What do you think? It, there isn't a big track record of betting against Bill Belichick and having success. Um, and I know how bad the new England has looked. And I know that you are, uh, studying them assiduously that you're on every aspect of, of what new England is bringing to the plate. The thing that concerns me is we saw Cam Newton at the height of his powers just four weeks ago, and then he had COVID and he hasn't been the same guy, but what if this is the week that he is that guy again. That's Great. what concerns me. Then guess me. what that means? That means the Patriots won. So I win either way. Great. Okay. okay. Um, All right. Next bet. <laughs> We're moving on. We're moving on. I can't lose with this one. I did not see a single sign from Cam Newton last week that he's going to be good this week. Okay. But I would love like on Saturday if somebody writes some piece about, man, Cam Newton looked great this week. I'd be like, oh, cool. Next one, Raiders, Browns. You talked me into this. Initially, I was leaning toward the Browns and you were passionate about the Raiders. There's some good signs that the Raiders are going to cover this. They're getting two and a half against the Browns. It's in Cleveland. Noel Del Beckham. Uh, possible bad weather, possible yes. wind, which yep. I think is great for Baker Mayfield, who has enough problems as it is. They're throwing wind into the equation. These The DVOA, 22nd for Cleveland, 23rd for Vegas. Huge turnover differential. Raiders are minus five. Cleveland's plus five, which is usually a red flag for uh, the team that's plus. Raiders are kind of secretly good on offense. They're 50% on third down, 78 on fourth down. And then on the flip side, the Browns giving up 47.1% on third down. And other teams are 11 and 12 against them on fourth down. And I, I was shocked last week uh, from what we saw from their defense in a game where it just seemed like they were ready to finish off the Bengals and the Bengals were just putting together drives over and over again on them with no offensive line and no running back. So 
I to me, this is a pick 'em. I feel like you're getting two and a half free points. I think I got thrown off by how bad the Raiders were in that Bucks game, but um, make the case why I shouldn't have been thrown off. Well, first of all, that was a, what what Warren Sharp likes to call uh, a faulty outcome, a faulty score. The Raiders were down by four points in that fourth quarter, and then you know a couple things went Tampa's way, and Tampa just just put the game out of reach. But the the Raiders were in that game, um, you know, th- throughout most of it, and they were in the worst possible kind of disarray on the offensive line. It was an incredible mess they had. Uh, their right tackle didn't play because of a, po- a positive COVID test. And then his backup was inactive. And then they had all the other starting offensive linemen sit out, uh, self-quarantine until Sunday morning to get all clear. And then when they started playing the game, the Raiders right tackle had a knee injury. And then another guy got, got kicked out. So like you, that's, that is a low point for that offensive line. And they were up against the best, you know, uh, the maybe best the best DOA. team, yeah, yeah, exactly right. Uh, defensively in the league, and they were within a one one score in the fourth quarter. It wasn't a blowout um, the way that the score kind of suggested. You mentioned that the Raiders um, are sneaky good on offense. They're sixth in offensive DVOA, and one thing in particular that they do well that um, could be a nice indicator if there's bad weather is they do have a decent short passing game mm. and it also that's all they have what are you talking about well i mean you know they have a, that deep threat in rugs and you know twice a I game know. they send him they out and, and he catches one but that's yeah. all they did yeah and um, like, there's an aguilar player once a game that's right they send uh, him deep. the browns defense gave up 34 points and 470 yards last week to to the bengals so I, I just think for all the reasons that you just said, these teams are pretty even to me and getting yeah. the two and a half points is value. I like the Raiders in this spot. The Raiders are interesting because so week one, they beat Carolina by four in a game that now looking at what we've seen from Carolina, it's like, that's, that's a nice win. They beat New Orleans by 10 week two. They lose to the Pats in week three in a game that um, you had to watch it. They lost by 16, but it was just one of those shoot bullets in your foot game. And and I I did feel a little lucky coming out of that game. They lose to Buffalo by seven. They beat Kansas City. And then that Tampa game, I think you throw it out. So then if they can beat Cleveland, they're going at the Chargers, home Denver, home KC, and then at Atlanta, at the Jets, home Colts, home Chargers, home Miami, at Denver. There's a roadmap for them to get to 10 wins. And I, I think this game's weirdly important to them because it's one of the tougher road games they have left. I think they're mad about last week. I could I, mark that one down. Um, next one. They, I have a couple maybes here. We, we can rip through okay. them fast. Steelers, Ravens, it's plus three and a half. I've liked the Steelers all year. They've been good to me. They've covered a couple times. Uh, I have them to win the AFC Central. I have them win the AFC from before the season. So I have personal stake. Um, I think last week was on pace to be a blowout and the AJ Brown got that weird touchdown. Deep one. It was like, oh shit. And then all of a sudden it felt like a game. Um, I don't think Baltimore will be able to run the ball on them. I think Pittsburgh has proven they swallow, They even swallowed up Tennessee's run game for most of the game last week, which puts the game in Lamar's hands. And I just haven't seen them do it against a good defense yet. He is going to be home. The thing that worries me is I I just haven't loved Roethlisberger this season. He's been okay, but, you know, they're not even throwing for seven yards a pass. He seems to make two throws a game. And 
makes me nervous for some reason that I can't really identify. The thing I do like is the hook. I like that this is three and a half, not three. What do you think? Um, I really love Baltimore this week. Okay, good. I I think uh, they they have been resting. There's a, there's some incredible stats for them coming off a of bye week. Harbaugh is awesome coming off a of bye week. He's he, ten and two straight up, nine and three against the spread, um, including games. You know, like last year, they they were uh, underdogs going up against the Pats. They came out and beat the crap out of them, thirty seven to twenty. Um, Baltimore, this is like crucially important to their. Um, desire to win the AFC conference and get the bye uh, in the first also week cru- of the playoffs. Also crucially important for the Lamar narrative. Well, and, and let's he talk need, about He needs Lamar. a good win in a big game against against somebody. He hurt his knee against the Washington almost professional, definitely might be professional football team. And he, the last two games after that game, they ran him way less and his passing accuracy was down. That's another report that's coming out is that he's he's really used this time to get himself healthy and that he's feeling good. It's a fascinating matchup uh on the on the outside because the Steelers have the best receiving core in football and Ben gets rid of the ball faster than anybody, but Baltimore get, has a chance to game plan against that. And to me the real deciding factor why I like Baltimore in particular is Devin Bush being out. Uh I think mm. that that uh Baltimore, they can do some ball control. If Lamar really is healthy, he can run again. And if Lamar runs for 70 yards, I, I, I'm i going to play this game by buying the hook. I want to buy Baltimore at minus 130 down to minus three because I just feel like that's a safer number. I don't I don't. So um, this sounds like a same game it. parlay, not to not to give FanDuel a second plug, but um you do Ravens minus three at minus one thirty, and then you do Lamar over whatever the rushing yards ends up being. Oh. It'll be like fifty eight yards, whatever it is. Oh, let's do that. Let's yeah, get some odds for that. Oh, god damn it, we're gonna do that one now. Uh, all right, I'm gonna <laughs> stay away from that game. Uh, another maybe Colts minus two and a half against the Lions. From a yes. DVOA standpoint, the Colts should be favored by at least three. Um, it, this is a Phil Rivers question. Like, do you feel comfortable betting money on Phil Rivers? And I'm not sure I do. I, it, it really hurts, right? Because it, it has not been comfortable. I bet the Colts to win 10 games this year, um, and I have not en- enjoyed any of it. But I will say this. They're getting the left tackle back. Uh, Anthony Costanzo is coming back. He missed the Browns game, uh, came back for the uh, Bengals game, but he, he the bye that the Colts just had um, was helpful to him. Darius Leonard is coming back after uh, missing right. the, the last two games. So that that that's big for him. Um, the, the, the Colts have a sneaky, good defense, uh, and the, the lions, um, have beaten up on two bad teams, um, to get themselves kind of back to 500, which is, you know, right. Well, uh, but the reality is they should be, if Gurley falls down on the one, they're two and four. Yeah. And that, that's another reason why I might mark this one down. You, you know, the other thing we haven't had, uh, the Jonathan Taylor breakout game yet. I just traded for him in one of my leagues because I had. Watson and Kyler Murray, and I traded Watson for Taylor during his bye week because I was looking at running backs, and I'm like, who has a chance? Like, and, and it feels like it's going to have, they've been behind, they've had weird games, but maybe this is the week. I'm going to mark them down. Next one is Bengals plus five and a half against the Titans. Joey covers every week except for uh, when he plays the Ravens. There's... <laughs> That since he's 30th in DVOA, not great. I was really impressed with how they moved the ball last week. And then you think Tennessee's defense, 
which is just abysmal. Their defense sucks. I, it's kind of shocking. I, they're almost can't be considered a contender. They've given up 61% conversions on third down, their defense. So six out of every 10 times, the other team gets a third down. Uh, they're also plus nine in turnovers. Now on the flip side, Guskowski's cost them two games. But the five and a half just seems like, could Joey Covers give me a little, little garbage time TD for the cover? Could they keep it close? I, I was just intrigued by it. Talk me out of it. That's the one you're 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 counting on. I don't really have a strong feeling for a side here. I I um might play Tennessee uh in in a tease. I might tease them through the three and the six, tease them down. Um, hmm. you know, just try uh, to pull out the W. Yeah, and 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 you know because the 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 price for that um, cheaper than the money line. Um, I. I'm very fearful of Joey covers. I mean, it, me too. The back, the he was terrified. That Browns bet last week. He was just flat out terrifying. <laughs> I was like, hey, we stop this guy, hit him late, do anything. The thing that I'm worried about, they do have a, like a, a decent defensive front seven and the Bengals offensive line is atrocious. And the concern always with Joey covers is, is this yeah, the week when somebody comes and, and, and even if he I goes think, out for any portion of the game at all, they're cooked. I think I'm throwing them in long shot parlay. Two more. Dolphins plus three against the Rams. There's a Dolphins six to one AFC East bet that neither of us have made, but we've been staring at for most of the week. Dolphins might be pretty good. They so, you throw throughout week one, they lose to the Pats 21 11, which was a goofy game. And they, they just, whatever they, they had some injuries, lose to Buffalo by three, kill Jacksonville, went toe to toe with Seattle, kill San Francisco, kill the jets. And then they bring in Tua for Fitz. And I don't know. They're only getting three against the Rams. They're 13th DVOA. Rams are seventh. And the line is suspiciously low, which kind of makes me like the Dolphins. I would have assumed the Rams are favored by four, four and a half. Why is the line three? Part of it has to do with the fact that the Rams are once again flying out east. This is their fourth oh. Eastern time zone game already, you know, halfway through the season. And they're on a short week. They just played Monday night against the Bears. And that was a physical effing game, right? The, the That Bears-Rams game. That's a good playoff preview um, for like a, a first-round playoff matchup, potentially. The Rams have really good uh, performance against the spread and straight up um, on the East Coast under Sean McVay. 10-4 and four against the spread in their last 14 games on the road. 8-2 and two straight up and against the spread in their last 10 games on the East Coast. That's because Sean McVay is a good coach and they plan and they they have sensible game plan. The concern that I have is the ver what version of Jared Goff are, are you going to get? Well, especially it's, in 85-degree the weather. There you that's go. What you it, beat that's, me to it. That's it. Just played Monday night. Big win. Yes. Exactly. Flores action. The one I like here is the the Dolphins money line. I think it's like plus one sixty five or something. I saw that. That's that's the number that I like here. We have no idea what that offense will look like with Tua. The offense was surprisingly pretty effective in a couple different areas with Fitz Fitz Magic. We have no idea Ooh. with Tua. So you got Dolphins money lines plus one fifty. Sure. There you go. I like the money line here. That's a little tasty. I'm going to mark that one down. Last one, it just we have to mention this one, is Seattle plus, uh, minus two and a half against San Francisco. Just a complete fuck you to Russell Wilson that he's not favored by three in this game. Wow. Vegas and is like, no, two and a half. 
Here's the thing. I'm still not over Seattle. Shit in the bed last week. Not just shit in the bed. They were accomplices in that loss. Like they actively aided and abetted that loss through the combination of play call, through the through having no defensive scheme whatsoever for Kyler Murray. They had an effing bye week, it, it, a, a full two weeks to prepare for Kyler Murray, and not one guy had eyes on Kyler Murray that entire effing game. And you know they they had the game in hand to win with a minute. 45 seconds left and they ran three straight Carlos Hyde to the same side of the line. You know, they gained six yards, one first down and they win that football game. That's bad. And either Russ at the line didn't, didn't, you know, because they initiated that, that end of game, they got one first down. They needed two first downs. The way they got that first, first down was Russ running for nine yards. And then they, they uh, got another one. They got uh, um, the Arizona, the Cardinals in the position to have to use those those timeouts, and they did. But the game was on the line, and they just run Carlos Hyde. He doesn't get the yards. You know and what that's it was? It. They were due to lose a dumb game because they've won plenty of them. That's a fact. I You're right. The dumb, they, the dumb game gods were just like, "Hey, man, we you can't. This can't happen again." They You're have a historically this. bad uh, defense. They they are on pace well, so, to, to hunt, blow the NFL record for most yards allowed in a season. <laughs> They've given up 171 first downs, which is third worst. Uh, teams are almost 49% on them in third down. They're 28th in defensive DVOA. And yet, I don't know. I don't, I like the two and a half. Just, it, and the Niners are banged up too, right? They're missing, now they're missing Mostert. Wilson looked really good last week. He's out. Debo got hurt. He's out. And it's like it's like it's whack them all with the, all the injuries. So, had, so Debo is the truly concerning aspect for San Francisco because the one thing that is apparent you can throw on Seattle, and it doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, you know, so it'd be a big Ayuk game. It, it could be. It could be the Brandon Ayuk well, breakout game. Yeah. Last one, long shot parlay. We got Bengals with the Vikings who are against Green Bay plus seven. But and for a long shot parlay, Bengals and Vikings win. That's plus nine fifteen. And then you have Bengals. I don't like the Vikings. I don't either. Bengals Bears is plus eight fifteen. Mm. Bears are uh, playing the Saints. They're five point underdogs to the Saints. And the other move is to throw the Dolphins and Bengals together, and that's plus six fifty. So those are our three options for long shot parlay of the week. I, I like Dolphins Bengals the best. I think I do too. Oh, good. So, but I also like Bengals Bears. Yeah, I right. like the I like the Bears also. Um, I think uh, New Orleans has been you know o- overrated uh, by by Vegas uh, so far this season, and they they haven't really impressed me in any game. I I very much liked what Carolina did against them uh, all week. And Carolina, I mean, they had to try a sixty five yard field goal to yeah. tie at the end, but they they were every bit the equal of of New Orleans in New Orleans last week. Did we say yes on the Colts minus two and a half? We did, right? Yes, I like the Colts. All right, million dollar picks week eight. I am up one hundred forty four thousand for the season. Here's what we're doing: teaser three thirty to win three hundred thousand. Eagles minus eight and a half over Dallas and Tampa minus twelve against the Jets. Eagles down to minus two and a half. Tampa down to minus six. Three thirty to win three hundred. Bills minus three against the Patriots. We're going to buy the half point minus one thirty. So three ninety to win three hundred. On the Buffalo Bills against the six-time champion, 
now a potential carcass New England Patriots. I can't lose no matter what happens in this game. Next one, the Raiders <laughs> plus two and a half in Cleveland. Windy, 330 to win 300 on that. And then we're going to do a little, little, little sampling. 100 each Ooh. on Colts minus two and a half over the Lions. Yes. Dolphins plus 150 to beat the Rams outright. We just love it. And the Seahawks minus two and a half over the Niners. Out of respect to Russell Wilson, just because if they lose this game, people will talk about the BS podcast curse with Russell Wilson. 0-2 since <laughs> coming on the podcast. I really, need, I really need to come through. You can't then, have that. Our long shot parlay of the week, we're going to do Bengals, Dolphins. Both of them have to win 30K plus 615. And then we'll sprinkle a little 20K on Bengals, Bears. Good. Plus 815. Yeah. That's called and, round robin right there. And those are the million dollar picks for week eight. House, we can hear you with Warren Sharp, a guy who knows way more about football than I do, but it was wonderful to see you as always. Always a pleasure. The Masters are right around the corner. We've got football in full uh, array. And by the way, the holidays are coming. That means holiday food, Bill Simmons. Oh, and also congratulations for a week and a half ago. Uh, you broke the record for longest ad read in a history of a ringer podcast. You did a FanDuel read that was like five and a half minutes. So congrats. I Look, I get excited when we're talking about FanDuel and betting. I mean, you know, uh, kill me. You're like the Paul Thomas Anderson of ad reads. Just, just like, give me an opportunity with Heineken again. Wait till I have some Heineken tonight. <laughs> All right. I'll see you later. Good times. See you, buddy. This episode is brought to you by Lincoln and the all new 2024 Nautilus Hybrid featuring a customizable 48 inch panoramic display, available Revel audio system and available perfect position front seats with active motion massage. Oh my God. The world isn't wide enough. Visit Lincoln.com to learn more. Some models, trims, and features may not be available or may be subject to change. Check with your local retailer for current information. Lincoln and Nautilus are trademarks of Ford or its affiliates. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank. Unlike this podcast, some things in life should be boring, like banking, because boring is pragmatic and responsible, level-headed, wise, all the things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be exciting. Exciting is for three-point buzzer beaters, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money, because when your money is doing what you need it to, you can do all the unboring things you want to do with it. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly boring since 1865 is the service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Inc., PNC Bank National Association, member FDIC. All right, bringing in right now, Bakari Sellers, who hosts the Bakari Sellers podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network. Great podcast. He's also on CNN and a whole bunch of other places. And his colleague, Harry Anton, who has somehow never been on this podcast, the three of us are going to talk about the election, which is now less than five days away. So here that is. All right, fellas, we're taping this. It is Thursday, 1 p.m. PT, 4 p.m. ET. So if anything changes, don't blame us. Uh, we are now five days away. And Bakari's going to be on TV for seven straight hours. Is that, is that seven straight hours? Tuesday night? No, I don't know about seven, but close to you know, it, we, we'll we'll uh, we'll pop in and pop out, but we actually start full coverage. I think Harry knows this too. We start full coverage on Saturday. We're 24 hours live 
starting Saturday morning. So we'll be on and any anytime you want to see some handsome guys, you can mm. tune in to CNN starting starting Saturday and we'll go through Thursday. And Harry, wow. you're just you're just drinking coffee and staying up for five straight days. What what's your I life mean, gonna I, be like? I, I'm drinking the Coke Zero, the Diet Pepsi, anything that has caffeine. And I've already started. You know, I was I was in uh, the studio at freaking seven forty on two on Thursday. I had four or five hits today. I'm doing this thing. I did a radio interview and we're just going to keep on going, going, going until I collapse. <laughs> Hamster wheel. How are we looking? <laughs> uh, right now, Biden, I think is minus 180, minus 175. Trump is in the minus or the plus 145, plus 150 range. But Car and I were texting today. I, I'm still not a total believer in these polls because I am not convinced that there's a certain number of people out there who is honest when, the, when these pollsters call them. I do believe in that. We saw it a little bit in 2016. I think that's not the only reason we had a surprise. Uh, Harry, do you believe the polls? I do. Okay. But here's the real thing. Here's the real thing, Mr. Simmons. Even if you had a polling error, the same size as you had in 2016 or current 2020, Joe Biden would still get over 300 electoral votes. His lead, simply put, is larger than Hillary Clinton's. And we could go through the individual swing states during the course of this. But just to start off with the national polls, because I think it just gives you a broad overview, Joe Biden's up by nine or 10 points in the average. In the final polls of 2016, Hillary Clinton was up three or four points. So Joe Biden's lead is twice as large as Hillary Clinton's was nationally. And Hmm. so, you know, even if you don't believe the polls and you you take some sort of discount, you still should have Joe Biden ahead. Okay. Bakari, what's your biggest fear right now, five days away? Well, so I'm, I'm a little zen, uh, to be completely honest with you, because a lot of my Democratic be- brethren are, are proverbial bedwetters. And, um, you know, we have this, this level of angst and anxiety, and I refuse to go there. And I just feel like, you know, to be completely honest, and I, I don't know if Harry agrees with me, I think our democracy truly rests on um, three states, Florida, North Carolina, and Ohio. And the reason I say those three states is because you will be able to count those ballots on election night. There's no red mirage, as uh, my friends at Hawkfish will talk about often. And a red mirage, for those who don't know, is let's take a state like Pennsylvania, for example, that on election night, it appears that Joe Biden is winning. I mean, excuse me, Donald Trump is winning without counting all of the mail-in ballots. And so there's this freak paranoia that on election night, it's going to look like um, Donald Trump is winning before you count all the mail-in ballots. And I think you get rid of all that angst, all of that anxiety, because Donald Trump literally, and Harry, correct me if I'm wrong, but Donald Trump literally has to win Ohio, North Carolina, and Florida to be president of the United States. I'm not sure of a scenario he gets to 270. I mean, I know there are, you can play with them but a legitimate scenario, he gets to 270 without winning all three of those. Yeah, what I would say is that you're 100% right. If Joe Biden wins in the state of Florida, sure, you could draw up some map of that occurring. I'm sure you could also come up with some scenario that Bill roots for the New York Yankees, but those are very far in between. (laughs) At the end of the day, if Joe Biden wins in the state of Florida, he is almost certainly going to be the next president of the United States. And that's pretty much the same as Ohio and North Carolina, although North Carolina might be a little bit, might be more like 98% of the time if Joe Biden wins in North Carolina, Correct. he becomes the next president. But it's something fairly close to a short thing. 
And you count those votes, Bill, just so you know, you do count those votes. I mean, they dump those mail-in ballots. You, you, we will have so much data at seven o'clock out of the state of Florida that we will be able to parse through and be able to see what it looks like is happening. And this is, this is going way into the weeds, just so you know, but Hillary Clinton and Democrats had a 90,000 vote, Democratic vote advantage going into the election in 2016. After you opened the ballot, you saw that she had a 247,000 vote advantage. I mean, with independents voting for her and some Republicans voting for her, she was up by 247,000 votes. She ended up losing by 113,000. And so on Monday night, you're going to look for how many Democrat, what's the Democratic vote advantage? And then on Tuesday at 7.15, smart people like Harry and John King will be able to deduce and peel back how many votes she's actually up. If he's up by more than 247,000, if he's up by like half a million, then that's, this is an interesting race in Florida. One that I would bet on if I was a Democrat. Why isn't Pennsylvania one of the key states? It is a key state, but what Bakari is getting at is, look, here, well, first off, we should say Pennsylvania is absolutely a key state, right? Absolutely key. If, if Joe Biden wins in Pennsylvania, he's probably going to win the election. In fact, I would argue it's, you know, if you were to use innate silver terminology, a tipping point state, mm. uh, Pennsylvania is that. It's the state that's likely to put a candidate over the top in the Electoral College. The difference in Pennsylvania is that the vote by mail or absentee ballots will not begin to get processed until election day in Pennsylvania. And the vote count is likely going to extend into Wednesday or Thursday. And the first ballots that come in in Pennsylvania will be the election day ballots, which is the exact opposite of what's going to occur in Florida, where the first ballots to get counted will be those apps, vote by mail and early in-person votes. So essentially what Bakari's arguing is that, that if Joe Biden wins in Florida, there's no real scenario where Trump could say, see, I'm ahead and they stole it from me. Uh, versus in Pennsylvania, while they those are perfectly legitimate votes, obviously, that are cast by absentee ballot, Trump is going to try and claim something nefarious when no such thing has actually occurred. So this is, I mean, people have been talking about that Tuesday night when we normally have a really good idea by whatever time. Um, sometimes it could be late at night. Sometimes it can stretch till two in the morning. Uh, is there a world in which we have no idea even when we go to bed on Tuesday who won? I, yeah. I, yeah. 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 Okay. Well, that, it seemed like that was the fear initially, but, but then now people are like, no, no, actually, but it still feels like, like, what would you say is more probable us going to bed on Tuesday night, not knowing who won or us going to bed on Tuesday night, knowing who won? I think, I think what's probable is you going to bed, knowing who won without them being declared a winner. Mm. Mm. And I think that everybody, everybody will be able to say like, you know, my guy won, you know, and this is probably more, more tilted towards Joe than, than, than Trump, but my guy won, I can go to sleep. We're hammered. It's three 30. They have it. NBC, Fox, CBS, ABC, CNN, haven't rolled out the breaking news with, with Blitzer banner that says we have a new president of the United States. It is. Cause that didn't happen until like three 30, three 45 AM last go round after I went to bed at 11 o'clock knowing that Hillary Clinton wasn't going to be president. I mean, I knew the blue wall was chipped and I knew that she lost Florida. Yeah. That was over. And I think that you'll have something similar. I mean, when you, by the time you get to the West coast, a lot of my democratic friends had these weird ideologies about, you know, Georgia and Texas and go Georgia, go Texas. But 
Anyway, uh, if 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 uh, Joe Biden wins in Arizona, for example, where he's likely to win in Arizona, you know that late in the night thing, you you'll get closer to if everything else is up in the air, which I don't think it will be. Arizona is one of those tipping point states. I think Harry can correct me again. It's one of those tipping point states. He wins Arizona, then the path gets even that much yeah, more narrow. No, Arizona is a state that often doesn't get spoken about on the east, perhaps because it's all the way in the west, or maybe folks just don't like the desert. I don't know. But Arizona is a key state in terms of a, perhaps you could call it plan 1B for Joe Biden, right? If you put the Hillary Clinton states together, that totals 232 electoral votes. Then you add in Michigan with its 16, you get to 248. Then Nebraska's 2nd Congressional District. Remember, Nebraska, like Maine, allocates one electoral vote to the winner in each of those congressional districts. The 2nd District, Omaha, very likely to go for Biden. So that gets into 249. You add in with Especially, especially after he left everybody oh fucking freezing at his last rally right. in Nebraska two nights ago. Good point. So let's talk about local news stories. So all of these things, I'm sorry to no, interrupt no, you, but there is, a, there is a local news story which will will, will help in that one electoral vote. But no, no, it's a very important electoral vote because you add in there, you get to 249, you add in Wisconsin, where COVID is going bonkers right now, you get to 259, and then you add in Arizona and it's 11 electoral votes and you get to exactly 270 without Biden needing to win in Pennsylvania, win in Florida, win in North Carolina. So Arizona, to me, key state, one in which Joe Biden's leading by about four points in the averages. We talk to each other right now. Wow. So what, in terms of what Hillary didn't win in 2016, what are the states that Biden has clearly taken over over those last four years where we just feel confident these are the ones he's taken? Uh, Bakari, I wonder if you disagree with me, but I, I think in order of sort of the ones where I feel the most confident that Biden will win Michigan, uh, then Wisconsin, I know there's been some doubt about Wisconsin, but I actually feel pretty confident that Biden will win there. Uh, then Nebraska's second congressional district. And then I think that there are different strokes for different folks, whether they think it's ultimately Arizona or ultimately Pennsylvania that he will win. And he's obviously leading in North Carolina and Florida, but I think that and even Georgia, but there's far less certainty, especially about Georgia. No, I, I think so. And I, well, I'm not a, I'm not a Georgia fan. Georgia's fool's goal. I think Georgia, mm. Georgia, Georgia is a lot like Missouri was for Barack Obama. All you got to do is talk to Axelrod. Every, they always thought they were winning Missouri. They never did. And what you all don't re- probably don't remember, and I don't know if I, I'm stumping Harry or not, but if you go back, George W. Bush actually sent Dick Cheney to Hawaii. Oh, I recall that. In his re-election because they, they, they fucking thought they were going to win Hawaii and they got beat by like eight. So there's always a state or two where people think they can expand the map and they don't. I think Georgia's probably that state. But I, I, I do think that the Senate candidates are going to have, they're going to fare a little bit better and that's going to be a longer race. But I think Harry's right. I think Arizona is probably the state I would point to that you will see the biggest turnover or swing. Um, I think you'll see a growth in Nevada, although Hillary won Nevada. I think you'll see a growth in Nevada. Um, I think that he'll win all the blue wall states, but I think that the, the secret sauce, and I'm not sure if Joe's going to pull this off or not, but I do think Ohio is a state where Joe Biden is overperforming. Mm. And I think that there is a chance in Ohio that, that I know Mammoth just came out of, with a poll, like as we're taping today, where Joe Biden's up 
up four or five, and you you gotta put you gotta throw that in the whole gumbo pot. So I don't believe he's up four or five. I think I think Ohio will be a one point two point state, but we'll know election night, and I think that's the state he can win. You know, just to jump in here for a second, what is so important when you're looking at trends in the national polls, which I that's part of the reason I look at the national polling is to under, understand demographic subgroups. And what you do see is that Joe Biden is considerably outperforming Hillary Clinton among white voters without a college degree. When you compare the pre-election polls in 2016 and the pre-election polls in 2020, and of course, if you know your map, there are a ton of those voters in the Great Lake battleground states, such as Ohio, such as Pennsylvania, such as Michigan, such as Wisconsin. And although technically Iowa is not on the Great Lakes, I guess you could say it's part of the Midwest. I think that's- I forgot about Iowa. That's exactly right. It's part of the reason why Biden is very competitive in Iowa, despite Hillary Clinton losing that state by a little bit over nine points. So what's the recipe for Biden just crushing election night where it's actually like a landslide? Is it three or four states that if those go, it could totally no, it's swing? Ca- I think it's I think it's I think it's uh, I think it's county level. I mean, you you have to look at the states whereby you have or, or counties whereby you have these large portions of white non-college educated voters. Mm. And if you see him start to make up ground in those states, you can start to see a cascade. What we are seeing, though, in Florida and Georgia and North Carolina is you're seeing black voters, particularly 65 and above, turn out in numbers that are maximizing, if not exceeded. And the question is, and this is a larger question, this is a question for somebody smarter than I, like Harry and um, Ron Brownstein and many of those guys, is are Democrats cannibalizing their voters? And that's, that is probably one of the larger questions. 16, especially in Florida, because a lot of us were waiting for Broward County and Dade County to dump voters out, and there were no more voters to dump out on election night because they had all voted early. And so the question is, are all of these target voters voting early? And I think that the the biggest difference you see now are not some of the more traditional buckets, but are white, non-college educated voters, are they coming home to Joe Biden or are they sticking with Donald Trump? And that's going to tell the difference. You know, another thing I would just point out is voters 65 and over. You know, that was a group that has voted Republican in presidential election since at least 2000. There's some argument among the nerds whether or not Gore won that senior vote or not. I tend to think he actually didn't, but whatever, that's for another conversation. But you do see that Joe Biden is leading among seniors nationally. You see that in Florida, that group is quite competitive. And, you know, obviously you go to the villages, you go, you know, down to Palm Beach County. Can Joe Biden expand upon the Democratic margins in Palm Beach, even if he's losing some ground among Hispanics in Miami-Dade? These are the types of questions that will ultimately become answered. And if he is, look, at the end of the day, if you lose a few Hispanic supporters, but you gain some whites without a college degree and you gain some senior citizens, that's a pretty good trade in the Electoral College. Is it fair to say you can follow where they're spending their time these next four days to know where where their teams think are the the states they have to win? Eh, I mean, look, (laughs) Joe Biden's going to Minnesota as part of a Midwest package. You know, I don't really think Minnesota's in danger, although, you know, Donald Trump went to the Minnesota in the final days of the 2016 campaign, and we all thought, what the heck is he doing there? And then he only lost the state by a point and a half. Mm. I, look, I think it gives you a broad understanding of 
where the electoral map is, but I tend to be the type of guy who's like, what's the poll average say? Historically speaking, how often have the polls been in those states? Have they been biased in one way or another? And that's how I tend to view it. I don't try to get head faked, you know, by the uh, campaigns themselves. Sometimes they do head fakes. Donald Trump, especially, might pull a head fake occasionally once in a while. So, yeah. Yeah, Donald Trump ended up campaigning in Macon, Georgia, like in the run up to the election in 2016. And everybody's like, why are you going to Macon, Georgia? Like, you, Georgia's not in play then. It, it wasn't a swing state. I mean, so the head fake is is very, very real. I think, you know, Joe Biden, uniquely enough, has been to Pennsylvania over 20 times. Over 20 times, he's been to no other state over five. Mm. Um, so Joe Biden really, 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 really wants to win Pennsylvania. I wouldn't be surprised if his election night or Monday night, and I don't know where it is. I'm, I'm just talking out the side of my neck, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was in Philadelphia um, to try to... With Carson Wentz and Joel Embiid? Exactly. And, I mean, I think he should, or Tobias Harris. I mean, and Doc Rivers, right. roll them out. And Doc Darryl Rivers. Murray, yeah. Daryl Morey, roll out the whole crew. Yeah. Uh, you definitely, you definitely can't roll out Daryl Morey. I mean, he hasn't answered a question about China since he left Houston. So, <laughs> you know, <it's, laughs> let's not, let's not do that. Let's not add any more monkey wrenches to the, yeah, to yeah. the race. So I don't, I, you know, I think there is a head fake, but I, I, I think that the most valuable t- thing you have is time. I know Kamala is going to Texas if she's not already there today. I can't remember. Um, and I don't know where Mike Pence is, but you know, right now this thing is pretty much baked. It's all about a GOTV game now. This episode is brought to you by Peloton spring, the best time of the year to dial your fitness routine up a notch. You know, it's going to happen. It's going to get warm. Gonna start wearing shorts, start wearing bathing suits. Just, you're not going to be able to cover up behind those big coats anymore. Also. It's nice outside. Get outside, do stuff. Or if you don't have time to get outside, I got Peloton for you. Whether you have five or 60 minutes, Peloton's workouts were made to challenge you. Classes like boot camps, full body strength, boxing, marathon training are created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you already excel in and you won't feel bad about not being outside. Peloton's expert coaches, challenging classes and nonstop vibes will keep you coming back for more. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at onepeloton.com. How much help has the voting stuff, the ads, the athletes stepping in, the celebrities, the social media campaigns? What do you honestly think has been the effect of that? I mean, I'd be interested in Bakari's thoughts on this, but to me, it almost certainly, it can't hurt the turnout, right? And this is something we haven't discussed yet. We're going to be looking at record turnout as percentage of the voting eligible population since 18-year-olds got the vote just before the 72 election. We're Mm. probably looking at 155 million people turning out and voting this time. It was less than 140 million back in 2016. And I think there's been this real emphasis both in the sports world and the celebrity world and just generally speaking to get people to turn out and vote. And I think that you're seeing that right now in in the early vote numbers, right? I mean, you just, we ran past the 2016 early vote earlier this week with no problem. Now, part of that's the pandemic, but part of that is just the overwhelming enthusiasm either for or against the president of the United States being aided by all these get out the vote ads. Yeah, I yeah. mean, I think you see, 
you're seeing much more. I mean, um, just people sharing their voices, whether or not it's Alicia Keys and Kerry Washington, um, who were tonight, you know, doing something on CBS, I believe. Um, and even somebody on the other side, and I don't get offended by this. I think everybody should have their voice, but Jack Nicholas today coming out and saying he's voting for Donald Trump. You know, I, people, I mean, Twitter's not the real world, but to cancel Jack Nicholas is, is stupid. Like one, it ain't gonna happen. And two, let the man speak his piece. He's 80 years old. I mean, he's fought the good fight. Let the man support who he wants to support. Now, Jay Cutler, I think he was probably, as you saw Jay Cutler come out and support Trump, I think he was probably trying to support Joe Biden, but it got intercepted. <laughs> I've, been wait- <laughs> I've been waiting to use that one all day. So, <laughs> so you know, that that is different. But let everybody, you know, you're starting to see athletes even 80-year-old athletes and Jack Nicholas or LeBron James use their voice and use their power. What will it change in this election is your question. I'm not sure it will change much. I think that there is a huge lightning round right now, but I do believe with the numbers of poll workers and the numbers of people who are engaged in the process and now athletes finding their voice, I think it truly changes the fundamentals of electoral politics going forward. And so I think both parties will now have to be more accountable because I don't think these voices are going to be quiet. I think that, you know, whether or not, you know, the WNBA has always been very, very, very loud and very vocal. But the NBA now being vocal, rookies in the league to LeBron James are being vocal, um, athletes who are retired, these entire institutions. So now I do think that there's not going to be any days off and it may not change what happens next Tuesday. But I do think that it's going to raise a level of awareness about our political processes, which has not been raised going in the future going forward. Well, don't forget about the uh, the NFL voting campaign, which was basically it looked like they spent about ten bucks. Where it's like Pete Carroll and this, yeah, Pete Carroll and all these these coaches and players, like, hey guys, you should vote. And there's you know the NBA had these really cool polished ad campaigns. The NFL's like, hey, vote. Voting's a good thing. <laughs> And just kind of crammed it through. But it, it even to see it in football was kind of crazy. Think about where we were three years ago, where, you know, football is just constantly trying to pretend nothing's happening outside the football bubble. And now at least they're Man, acknowledging listen, I just it. Want, I, want, I want whatever um, Nick Saban had. That's all I want. Because Nick Saban had code for 12 hours. And right. I want you to know that that went away. But I, I mean, I just to, it's such, I mean, that, I've personally sued the NFL. I was a part. They own an entire day of the week. And to to, to have them stick their, stick their toe into social has kind of been dope. But watching these athletes, these athletes aren't going anywhere. I mean, these, mm-hmm. they, they, these younger athletes, I mean, Justin Fields led a protest to want to come out and play. These younger athletes are going to, I mean, they, you know, they are compelling their coaches and everyone else to get involved. I think, I think that something is happening in this country. And to sum it up, Bill, I don't think this is a moment. I think this is a movement. I, I just want to jump on in on that as a Buffalo Bills fan who watches every single weekend, no matter how good or bad the team has been. I remember, you know, Kyle Orton quarterbacking, you know, J.P. Lossman, all that jazz. Yeah. Like, I watch every single one of their games, win or law, win or lose. And, you know, if you know Buffalo and you know the Buffalo metropolitan area, while the city itself is quite democratic, the metropolitan area is most certainly not. And what you have seen in the last year amongst the Buffalo Bills is much more of, you know, a social justice campaign compared to four years ago where you saw Rex 
and getting on that stage and endorsing Donald Trump. And it was just like, that was what was expected and accepted. And it's just been a completely different world this year in the NFL, at least as far as the bills have been concerned. Yeah, you think about one of the goals since basically since June was how do you raise awareness? How do you get people motivated? How do you get them engaged? It feels like all of that's happened. Your generation, I remember... I met Harry when he was a young whippersnapper in the 538 offices. I think you were, what were you, like early, mid-20s at that point? Uh, I, oh, mid-20s? That sounds probably about right. I was mid-20s and Connie Shell was probably, what, in his <laughs> mid-30s then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You were one of the young whippersnappers. Now this whole generation behind you, um, which you can really divide almost by social media. I'd say maybe the cutoff's like 28. 28 and unders are so much more engaged with all this stuff and they've grown up with social media and they're just more active in general. And it, and I, from that demo, like if we're just saying 18 to 26, right? That would be the most engaged voting demo we've ever had, right? But you know why though? Do you, do you know why? Why? It's because, it's because they're not getting their news from traditional news sources. Like our parents, we all go to uh, CNN, MSNBC, ABC, CBS, and that that's changed because we're now gravitating towards cable news. Whereas our parents had the Tom Brokaw's, uh, the Peter, J- not who who was with Tom Peter Jennings, Tom Brokaw, Peter Jennings, you had it. Dan Rather, Dan Rather. Oh. yeah. And there was a when there there was a oh Dan Rather. So I'm thinking about. It. I was like, there was another old guy too. Yeah. And so, but now people are starting to move and consume their news in different ways, i.e., podcasts. Um, you know, they're getting their news off Instagram snippets. And so it's, it's changed. So you can get way more people involved in messaging right now than you ever could. And everyone under their phone or with their phone feels like they could push out a political message and everybody on Twitter has a law degree. I mean, that's just the way it works. Yeah. It's that generation Z. That's the difference that cut off between the millennials and that generation Z, those Gen Zers. I'm right at the edge of the millennials, but I am a proud millennial. Those Gen Zers, I don't necessarily always know what they're doing, but God bless them. <laughs> the, what is what is Biden's message these last four days? I mean, Bakari, I wonder what you think it is, but to me, it's been a consistent message of unity. I'm going to bring back a sense of dignity to the White House. Uh, I'm going to listen to the scientists and I am not Donald Trump. I mean, he, that's implied. He hasn't necessarily said it. Trump allows it to go. But it, I, I just want to step back for a second and just remark, for a guy that so many complain could not stay disciplined, Joe Biden's campaign has been so freaking disciplined. It's been nuts, especially given the preconceived notions of who Joe Biden was. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, Joe Biden has been the most disciplined candidate that we've seen not named Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders, by the way, has been on the same message since 1984. So, <laughs> right. I mean, that, that has been somewhat, you know, that's who he is. But I will tell you that, that Joe Biden has been very, very much on, on message. What's his, what's his final campaign? I mean, he's the number one, two, and three issue for voters going in. In 2018, we saw the largest issue by a long shot was healthcare, and I think healthcare tied into the coronavirus are the number one issues because it's it's not only people, and I think the I think Republicans miss it because they treat it only as a public health crisis, but it's truly an economic crisis as well. And when you think about the millions of dollars, think about the city of Auburn, for example, or the city of Athens, or the city of Baton Rouge, and think about the money they make. 
by having 180,000 people every Saturday in that city, the small businesses, the restaurants, the bars, the hotels, the police who pull you over, you know, all of those things. And they're not able to garner any of that revenue. So it's a it's a true it's a true cataclysmic event. And so I think that Joe Biden's message the last four days is one, don't fuck anything up. Like no mistakes right now. I mean, that is like. So so he's going full game manager. Four corners, Dean Smith, four corners all day. I mean, we're not, are we managing or are we just putting people out there that can shoot free throws? That's not even management. That is just, just four corners all day. Don't fuck it up. Talk about coronavirus and let's get to Tuesday and let's have a good team of lawyers in place. You got to have lawyers. From the Trump side, is there a possibility if they're starting to get from their internal polling stuff that things are starting to slip away? Do you see him flying off the flying off the map those last two days and taking some wild swings? Because it feels like that could happen too. Wild swings. I feel like every presidential rally is a wild swing from the president of the United States. This idea that he's all of a sudden going to get off of message. He will go on in his speeches. You know, they'll go an hour, two hours. They'll have the prearranged comments that he's supposed to give. And he'll consistently go off of message. And I just find it, you know, I've written on this. I appeared on Aaron and spoken about this. I just from a purely political analyst point of view, I don't really understand how you're running a campaign in this day and age in which we're all wearing masks, in which there is a global pandemic, and that is not at the heart of the campaign that you are running and that you're basically trying to ignore it away. And you're blaming the press for bringing it up when people are literally dying and the coronavirus cases are rising. It is political malpractice. It, you know, it reminds me of that Seinfeld episode. Does it, you know, does the fact that Brian Cranston uh, switched over to Judaism for the jokes, does it bother you as a Jew? No, it bothers me as a comedian. This is exactly it. It bothers me as a political analyst that someone could potentially run this type of campaign because I just think it's malpractice. And Bakari, COVID by far has to be the, when we remember the 2020 election, I, I think the COVID piece and how Trump handled it will ultimately be the thing we remember first, despite all the other crazy, terrible shit that happened this year. It's still coming down and COVID is getting worse as we're hitting this election. Yeah, I think so. But I also think, I mean, I, I hear you, but I would think the further we get away from the Donald Trump presidency, like the people who support it and not support it, but the people who invoted in Trump are going to look back at this moment and be like, wow, this was kind of surreal. Like what, what, what did we really do? What was going on? I think people will remember, I mean, there aren't many people before this year who remember the pandemic of night. They didn't, nobody remembered the Spanish flu. Nobody remembered the 1919 Spanish flu. They just didn't. It wasn't really taught in our schools, et cetera. People will always remember Donald Trump. This, mm. this Trumpism and Trumpism is not going away either. The question that Republicans will have in 2024, and please don't shoot me for talking about 2024, even before we threw the 2020 election, because people like Harry are already having polls out about who the GOP nominee will be in 2024. It's you, it's whether or not Jack Nicholas at 84 making a push for it, whether or not it's uh, Harry, uh, whether or not it's uh, Matt, Matty Gates or whether or not it's Tom Cotton or whether or not it's Nikki Haley or whether or not it's Larry, Larry Hogan or, uh, Jeff Flake or or anybody, any of these names or somebody we don't even know. They're still Donald going Trump to have Jr. to do or Donald Trump doing that. He's running for mayor, though. So, I mean, we'll see. We'll see. 
so we'll 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 figure out how far Trump Trumpism lingers in the Republican Party. I think it's around the state. Yeah, I think Junior will be the the torch carrier. You would think over the over these next four years, and God only knows how fast he can rise up the ranks. What uh, we in terms of the the Trump piece of this, Harry? Is there anything he is there a hail mary he can throw with four days to go that could actually flip any of this? In your opinion? I mean, look, there are no knowns, there are known unknowns, and there are unknown unknowns. I'm sure there is some scenario in which he can do something that we haven't thought about that can change things, right? There's a reason. Because I was thinking about the Comey, the Comey thing four years ago is the obvious parallel, right? That comes out of nowhere, and that actually did matter. Yes, I will point out that we're well past that point in the cycle, right? I think that mm. with some hope, among conservatives and Republicans that the Hunter Biden stuff could turn into that. As it turns out, it really was not picked up by the mainstream media. The story, you know, just did not develop into the type of bombshell that I think conservatives were hoping. It was brought up at the debate. And I think most people just had no idea what they were talking about. And this has been a problem for Trump as he is consistently talking to a cable news audience when the people who are truly undecided or the swing voters tend to be perhaps more of a network news audience. Uh, during a during election or a local news audience. Sure, there's a possibility that Trump could do something, but if he hasn't done it yet with already 70 plus million people who have already voted, it seems to me he's probably not going to do it in the final, say, 96 hours, 120 hours of this campaign. Bakar, you told me early on in this that we needed f- four good hours from from Biden. You were basically like, just needs Three to go debates. out there, complete some passes. Don't get picked. Yeah. Yeah. Don't don't no uh no fumbles on while you're getting sacked. Just no. People laughed at me when I made the Kamala Harris Eddie House comparison. It's true, <laughs> and uh you know I'll make the the Trent Dilfer. Trent Dilfer won a Super Bowl. You people forget Trent Dilfer has a Super Bowl. I didn't. And he had an amazing. I mean, of course you didn't, but he has an amazing defense, and Trent Dilfer didn't throw the ball to the other team. And Joe Biden's not doing that. It's one of the most disciplined campaigns that you've ever, people make it classified as being unexceptional. And that's fine. Nobody cares about that. Trent won, but he trimmed in hat. When you go back and look at NFL Super Bowl winning quarterbacks, is Trent Dilfer in your top five for arm talent? No. Or mobility? No. Any of those things that you would attribute to a quarterback? No, but he's a Super Bowl champion. Joe Biden came at the right time. He's disciplined enough. He's talented enough to be at that level. And, I, you know, he, he's going to, I mean, we'll know this, we'll know more of this by next Tuesday, but I feel like he's in, a, he's in the best position of anybody running for president. And Harry, I think I'm right, but I, I don't know anybody that's been in a stronger position right now. I mean, even, even Jimmy Carter running against Reagan in 80 was in a stronger position right now than Donald Trump is. Jimmy Carter hemorrhaged a lot of support in 1980, if I'm not mistaken. So, I mean, Joe Biden's in a really, really good spot. For, 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 I'll put it this way. He is in the strongest position for any challenger of an incumbent since at least 1992, you know, when Bill Clinton was taking on George H.W. Bush. And he's held a consistent lead. This has been the most consistent lead since, I went back and looked since 1936. This lead is steady as a rock. It is Tyrod Taylor not throwing interceptions, if you'll allow me that one. I still think the Bills kind of screwed him over. Uh, he has done- And the Chargers. 
And and got screwed, got punctured lung. Get, get attacked by the Chargers. I was like, wait a minute, I don't like the Tyrod Taylor example because then he could be on the bench for life because nah, his own team punched his lung. Nah, he got nah. attacked by his team doctor. Yeah, nah, that's all. Horrible, he, he led the Bills to the playoffs. I'll put it that way. He let he broke the streak. Now, obviously, yeah. from Andy Dalton and co- company, but still, the point is he look. There's still a shot that the polls are off. Something crazy happens, but. He had Joe Biden has done what he has needed to have done and allowed Donald Trump to be Donald Trump and allowed this to be a referendum on the president of the United States. And in doing so, he has not allowed this to turn into a repeat of 2016, where you had the two least like candidates of all time. He's allowed Donald Trump's unpopularity to speak for itself. So um, the Senate, this is almost like where you have the giant boxing pay-per-view with the huge super fight. But then there's this other fight that's the fight right before that's getting no publicity at all. And this is the Senate races, basically any, um, any big surprises looming in the Senate? Like what, what's something to watch for people who have been following that? The two biggest watch it, the two biggest races to watch for Democrats. And it's a little bit counterintuitive are Michigan with John James and Minnesota with, uh, uh, Tina Smith. Um, isn't it Tina Smith? It is Tina name? Smith. She's running. Yeah. Full, she's running for the full term. For the full term, and I think that if Democrats hold on to those two seats, then they will maintain. Then they will not maintain, but they will gain a majority because they're going to. Democrats are going to win. We're going to lose Alabama. With all due respect, Tommy Tuberville is probably going to abandon the people of Alabama like he abandoned every team he's ever coached. But he's probably going to be a United States senator. Um, so you lose that seat, but that means Democrats have to win four. That means they win um, in Colorado. Uh, That means they win in Arizona. That means they win in uh, Maine with Sarah Gideon. And that means they win in North Carolina with Cal Cunningham. They may even win in Iowa with uh, Greenfield. That's a kind of on the edge there. Um, But if you win those four and you maintain James and Smith, then you have, then Mitch McConnell is no longer uh, the majority leader. Um, and I think that's very important to a lot of people. And so I think that the Tina Smith and Gary Peters, who's running against John James, if they win those seats, then they will keep the, they will gain a majority. Anything to add, Harry? I, I would just say that North Carolina and Iowa are the two closest races at this particular time. We're Republican incumbents. The Democrats need to win at least one of those. We'll probably know on election night whether or not Cal Cunningham, despite his sexting scandal, is able to defeat Tom Tillis. So that's the big one. And, you know, just in terms of surprises, maybe you'd be looking at a Montana or a Kansas, which are potential for Democrats, although I don't think they'll ultimately pull it off. And then, you know, we hit on it very briefly earlier on is the two Georgia Senate races. Uh, John Ossoff for the long seat against David Perdue. He's been coming on very strong in the polls. But remember, the key in Georgia is you have a 50% rule. You have to get a majority of the vote to win on election night or it goes to a runoff in January. And that special Senate election for the retiring or the resigning Johnny Isaacson is certainly going to be in January. And that other Georgia Senate race could also be January. So don't be surprised or shocked if Senate control ultimately comes down to one of those two seats, which both could have runoffs in January. Wouldn't that be nice to extend the election by an additional two months? Oh, and also, uh, South Carolina is going to be closer than it should, and is so so will Alaska. Those are two races. By the way, I just want you guys to Google Alaska Senate race. 
it's some wild shit going on up in Anchorage right now. I mean, completely wild shit. So that's also that. Mm. And then um, this is this is the key. Uh, the Liebermans always screw Democrats. <laughs> that's just the way the Liebermans work. I think that you're going to have a race where Raphael Warnock in Georgia probably could get to 50 plus percent. But for Lieberman's son being one of the Democratic candidates and also Tarver and um, State Senator Tarver. So I think he's going to get to 47, 48 percent. And I think that those two ancillary candidates that get to a couple of percentage points, will keep, which will keep him from getting over 50 percent and cost Democrats a seat. Before we go, Harry's never been on this podcast before. And randomly, it's the week that the Patriots, the the decrepit post-dynasty um, Things are heading really badly. Patriots are going into Buffalo, the place that Tom Brady like literally owned for two decades. And Buffalo is favored by three and a half. And I did million dollar picks before you guys came on. And Buffalo was one of my picks to beat the Patriots because I don't think the Patriots are good anymore. Harry, you, you never expected to see this in your lifetime. You know, my old line used to be the last time the Bills made the playoffs was before my bar mitzvah. Obviously, that is no longer the case. And I will say the only memory of Tom Brady losing in New England was when they lost 31 to nothing to the Bills. I believe it was in 2003. Your Patriots let go of Lawyer Malloy, I believe. Oh, yeah. Sam Adams makes that interception, rumble and tumble into the end zone. You're thinking, oh, my God, this is a great Bills season. Turned yeah. out, like many others, it went up in flames. This is very surprising to see that the Buffalo Bills are not just favored over the Patriots in this game, but favored to win the division. All I can say is it's about time. Bakari, you love this. You love the death no, what of the Patriots. I, mean, I, I, actually, I actually think the Patriots are going to win the division and bounce back. I think Cam oh. Newton is going to resurface. And I oh, think please. that... I think that the Dolphins and Bills will scrap around for some wild card spot as they always do. But I mean, I, I just can't have faith in the quarterback from uh, the University of Wyoming. Where is he from? Wyoming State. Wy- Wy- Wyoming State. He's a Bronco no, or something. I, I thought it was University of Wyoming. <laughs> Whatever is from. No, I, I just think that I think Cam Newton and the and the defense are going to get on track. And I think this week you'll have a Cam's going to put up 30 plus. And I think that's enough. I hope and pray you're right because he couldn't have been worse last week. And these Can he athletes throw to the right side of the field. What is that? Can you tell me why he can't throw to the other side of the field? What is that about? Why can't he only throw on one quarter? The part I don't understand, and I think they're still trying to figure this out, is athletes coming coming off of COVID. Yeah. In some cases, it really seems like it messed them up. Like Westbrook's been pretty open about post COVID. Like he just didn't feel healthy and right, and it was tough for him to do weight training, all kinds of stuff. And he just didn't feel like he was himself in the bubble. And I, I think we've seen that more and more. Cam looked like a shell of himself last week. It was concerning. He was skipping that. He, he didn't want to run. He, he he couldn't even get the ball. Yeah, he was skipping. I, I just feel like he'll get a better Cam. Okay. And I think that at the end of the day, if it's a Cam Newton versus Josh Allen game, then Cam Newton will win that game any day of the week. Boy, my goodness. You give me, you give Josh Allen less respect than my mother oftentimes gives me. I mean, my goodness gracious. Josh Allen is not a bad quarterback. He was very good at the beginning of the season. He, he was. was he, he was okay enough last week against the Jets, which is kind of like saying <laughs> that I'm a good-looking person, you know, uh, at, at an ugly person party. I mean, <laughs> but granted, they still won. They still uh, did what they needed to do. 
So look, I, I feel good about the Bills. I'm not going to say that they're going to go win the Super Bowl. That's not what's going to happen this year. But I'll just end by saying, look, COVID is a very serious thing. And the fact that you've seen some of these players not be able to bounce back in the way that they do, I, I hate to be this pontification. Person, but this thing is serious. Wear a freaking mask, people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, wear a mask. You can listen to Bakari's podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network. He, he had a good one today. Yeah, Michael Cohen was on today. I had the best guest of anybody, including Harry and Bakari Sellers. And <laughs> also, uh, we have Ron Brownstein on Monday, and we're doing a live live post-election special with the one and only James Carville. So. Harry, anything to plug? Nah, not really. Right. I got nothing. <laughs> no bills. All right. It was good seeing you guys. Thanks for uh, coming on. I appreciate it. Shalom. All right, guys. All right, thanks to House. Thanks to Bakari. Thanks to Harry. Don't forget two rewatchables if you missed that on the uh, rewatchables feed. Rocky Four and The Exorcist. Don't forget to check out TheRinger.com this weekend. Don't forget to check out our newest podcast on Ringer FC, Righty's House with Ian Wright. That launched this week. If you like soccer, I would highly recommend that one. And I'll be back Sunday night with the cuz breaking down all of the week eight action. Week seven, week eight, whatever week it is, we'll break it down. See you then.